Hello, the internet. Welcome to They Came From The Silver Screen, a podcast about film discussions. I'm Josh Trigenza, and with me, as always, is Damien Danaher. Hello, everyone. How are you doing today? Pretty good, my man. Pretty good indeed. Yeah. And it is today. We are recording during the light hours. I know. I'm a little weird about that, actually. Yeah. Let's, uh, Sun's let's out. See how it plays off. I'm drinking beers as opposed to the regular whiskey for those mm. playing at home. Indeed. And I'm uh, drinking uh, some peppermint tea because I am ruthlessly hungover. There needs to be a uh, designated podcaster for yep. every podcast. And today um, is me. And this is the only time that we have had one. So once again, for those playing at home, there you are. first designated podcaster. Mm-hmm. Yep, we're going to pretend that it's an ongoing thing, but in all likelihood, we will never mention this ever again. But this week, we saw Captain America Civil War. We did indeed. Or what Avengers 2 should have been. So this is done by the Russo brothers again. Indeed. This is the second uh, film that they've uh, done. Well, the second Captain America film that they've done. Um, and they're still hitting, I think we can say that they're still hitting gold. In this, I they, think we can easily agree on that. Absolutely, they really know how to do, um, like a good Marvel film. Mm. More so, like a good Captain America film as well. You've seen like other other the way he's been tackled by sort of uh, <clears throat> uh, other other directors. I mean, the first the first Captain America, Joe Johnson. I mean, that was a sort of romantic love letter to those old school like. Uh, war films and everything like that. But then in uh, Avengers and everything, he kind of came off as very much the the Boy Scout and he just wasn't that interesting. And what the Russos have done <clears throat> is through just savvy filmmaking and, you know, good storyline choices and things like that, they've actually made him a conflicted character. He's actually got depth now. Yeah, but, but still a Boy Scout, but just he has far more on... He's got more under the surface. Mm. Than just yes, I'm supposed to be doing. <clears throat> I'm supposed to be doing the right thing. No, I'm doing what I believe is right, whether or not that is in the grand scope of of, uh, of what's going on in the world, which is pretty much what Civil War backs itself with. Yeah, I mean, it's also, it's also that thing that uh, there's a zealotry behind his uh, Boy Scout. Mm. You know, demeanor is uncompromising. Mm, exactly, which you know, in this movie at least, tips towards you know uh, being an issue. Yeah, and yeah. So uh, the basic rundown of the film is uh, Captain America and the Avengers. Uh, well, his new team of Avengers uh, that was established at the end of uh, Age of Ultron. Mm -hmm. uh, they go in, well, all except Vision and War Machine. Those yes. are the, because that would have made the film very small. But they go in to uh, uh, Lagos uh, to prevent Crossbones, who was in the previous uh, Winter Soldier. Mm -hmm. um, um, but uh, he goes in and he's stealing a biological weapon. Uh, they jump in to stop him. Um, he sets himself off as a suicide uh, bomber, uh, but uh, Scarlet Witch uh, gets him out of the way of people, but still causes mass collateral damage, causing uh, the Avengers to be put under scrutiny um, by the UN. Uh, and in one particular, uh, 
Thunderbolt Ross. Mm, who we have not seen in a good long while. No, not since... <clears throat> uh, not Incredible since... Hulk 2008, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, that, that'd be correct. And the, the end slate where he's speaking with uh, RDJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is on Ross's side in this as he wants the Avengers to be under a UN council so that they are uh, accountable to someone and not just themselves. So we have that, you know, set up basically that is the, uh, you know, core, you know, core concept of the entire film. And then we have a, another, you know, villain uh, that comes in later on to shake things up and test the, uh, ideological viewpoints of Iron Man and, you know, Tony Stark and Steve Rogers who take opposing sides on how to deal with this encroaching villainy in the world. And it basically at the end of the day comes down to uh, the notion of, you know, government oversight, how much is too much, you know. uh, Steve says, you know, we do make mistakes, but the safest hands are still our own. Well, it it also comes down to... uh how much trust you have in yourself because mm. Steve Rogers has all the trust in the world for himself and his teammates. Uh, he put his lot, he puts his life on the line for them. Whereas uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark um, has been going through uh, a really great uh, character deconstruction throughout uh, all the, well, starting from um, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, Avengers, uh, an Age of Ultron, and now, uh, and now Civil War, where he's just becoming so unsure of himself that he is the best person uh, to deal with these things, mm. and he needs that. Um, he needs someone else to just give him that hand. It is that kind of. I mean, it, it sort of lends itself beautifully because he's been doing this character for so long now, and in so many movies, he has got that kind of. Uh, seniority this like sort of elder statesman role about him and it's the 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 weight of that power and influence is is weighing heavily upon him now and the russos really do a great great work with him because he speaks at uh, mit at the start of the at the start of the film and he and where we see a young Robert Downey Jr. done mm. with uh, CGI, which I would argue is the best amount of CGI this film has to offer. Mm. We'll go further into it, but uh, suffice it to say, uh, the rest of the film does not handle the CGI well. It does Captain America's um, attire well. It does uh, it does Sam Wilson's um, attire very well. But apart from that, no one really looks as good as they did in either the Avenger films or Ant-Man or... Mm. Yeah, it, and it's very strange to see. But, yeah, so we see Robert um, Downey Jr. speaking with MIT, and you put that against uh, Iron Man 2. Yeah. Uh, where he is so bombastic. It is like the um, it is the Apple keynotes turned up to, like, 11. <clears throat> the dancing girls and all that yeah. sort of stuff. You know, yeah. Charles, you know, Charles, you know, Foster Kane. Yeah, sort and, of, you absolutely. Know. Yeah, it's, it's huge. It's bombastic. And then, like, it's... It, He's showing this amazing, um, amazing technology that's going on, but he's downplaying it. He's putting himself um, out there. He's showing um, something very personal mm. uh, to himself, which does um, aid in the uh, aid in the storytelling um, of the film uh, with um, their, his parents. 
Uh, and we get uh, the original Howard Stark again. Yeah. Which uh, uh, John Slattery reprising his role as, as Howard Stark, Back as again. old man Stark, which I'm really glad of that they didn't just um, age Dominic Cooper. Yeah. Uh, who played, which I really fear that they would do once they brought him in as uh, young Stark in Captain America, the original. Yeah, the first Avenger, yeah. Yeah. So really glad for that to happen because he works so well as that uh, despondent father, mm. which really helped shape um, uh, Tony Stark, whereas he was so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed as a Howard, the Dominic Cooper Tony St- uh, Howard Stark. That That's what uh, Steve Rogers needed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it is, it's basically two different characters, um, and it does help branch um, what happened with uh, Tony Stark and Steve Rogers. Exactly. Because there's he always that of, little yeah. thing behind the scenes of my father loved you more than he loved me. Yeah. I mean, it is. You know, it's funny how many movies just come back to it, but at the end of the day, it is, it, it's just the sins of the father's. Absolutely. Begotten, you know, and repeated upon their, their progeny. Mm. And even in a even in a bombastic, you know, comic book superhero movie like this, that's still the main theme. It's curious. Yeah, and it, it's very – yeah, Hollywood has a lot of uh, daddy issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a lot. Well, Spielberg um, did his entire career basically on, on people with father issues. Obviously, I mean, it makes money. I mean, all of his movies, uh, you know, the families are always broken homes or the fathers are absent or dead or, you know, divorced or something like that. Well, that was the sign of, you know, when he was starting off, that was when divorce was becoming uh, commonplace. Mm. So around that time, you know, particularly in the 80s, that's when divorce was becoming um, normalized to the point of, yeah, this is the, this is just how it is. There's yeah. no nuclear family anymore. Yeah, exactly. This is the, yeah, this is the new family mm. when sometimes you've got two families. Yeah. Basically or something like that. So, I mean, like we should talk, um, I suppose about, uh, I mean, everyone's been calling this movie, you know, Avengers 2.5 basically is this kind of bridging film in between uh, age of Ultron and, you know, quite a way down the line still, but eventually what will become Infinity Wars. And uh, so, you know, we've got a bunch of new characters that have uh, cropped up to uh, be a part of this and then we'll have their own movies uh, down the line as well. So in terms of narrative significance, uh, how well were they uh, incorporated into the story? I guess let's talk about uh, Black Panther first. Okay, well, yeah, Black Panther. Okay, Chadwick Boseman. Mm-hmm. He is fantastic. So from the word go, he sells T'Challa. Yeah, you know, the Black Panther. He he sells it. He is a he is a, a a diplomatic man who once again has is um, thrust into uh, this situation uh, by the death of his father. Yeah. Uh, so they, when they go to sign the UN treaty, um, the Sokovia um, agreement, Sokovia Accords, yeah, uh, so- Sokovia Accords. Uh, they go to sign that, um, and then uh, the Wakandan king, uh, Tuk- oh, what's his fa- what's the father's name? 
It's Takala or something like that. Mr. Black Panther Sr. Well, the king is um, supposed to take up the helm of Black Panther. Yeah, yeah. So he was Black Panther. Was before. Yeah, but he never really – well, he does – at this point in time, I don't think he is the warrior no. that his uh, son becomes. Um, so, yeah, and he – it is stated that uh, his father's killed by a, a bombing of the UN um, – at the UN um, building, which is said to be done by – um, Bucky Barnes, uh, the Winter Soldier from yeah. Winter Soldier, who has been off the grid uh, until this point in time. Um, so Black Panther is out for revenge. He's out to find and kill uh, the Winter Soldier. Yeah. Yeah, and that's brings it brings in the main conflict of Steve Rogers trying to, to stop this, yeah. which, you know, the first big thing of Black Panther, he jumps into action real quick. Absolutely, yeah. So he's so they establish um, T'Challa as a character. Yeah, you know, speaking with uh, Black Will- Widow, um, he's then shell shocked by the death of his father, and then bam, he is straight into yes, this is exactly what I must do. You know, I am now the king of Wakanda, uh, but I must avenge my my father's death. Which is, revenge is just as much a plot in this yes. uh, film in mm. various ways. Um, then, um, you know, government oversight and accountability. Yeah. I mean, the thing I liked about it was that uh, it wasn't just uh, shoehorned in for the sake of, uh, you know, name-dropping a character and basically saying, you know, watch this space for a movie that will be coming out in the next, you know, 12 or 18 months. Like, it was it was more than just, like, a in-sort-of-cinema advertisement. Like, he actually had, you know, purpose and utility for the plot and it wasn't forced it was perfectly incorporated unlike some other movies that we have spoken about and the introduction of new characters i think this was handled one would say insurmountably better absolutely so yeah every character there has their purpose that you could say that uh the inclusion of ant-man uh may have been a bit uh be as forced as it could have been mm um, but eh, but also doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean they weren't they weren't sort of really doing. You anything. still actually saw that him him doing something, and yeah, this wasn't the first time you saw him. Exactly. Um, like every so, the new characters are of course so Black Panther, mm-hmm. uh, played by Chadwick Boseman, and then Spider Man, which is you know this was a a big deal coming into this film that he would be uh, part of the. Uh, Marvel Universe. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and he is played by Tom Holland. Who, so that little uh, British boy. I don't know if you ever saw The Impossible. I did not. No tsunami film with uh, Ewan McGregor and yes. Naomi Watts, and he was the son. Oh, and gotcha. He was absolutely spectacular. So I mean, the beauty of it is, is that he's cut his teeth on proper, you know, meaty, you know, cinematic fare. And now it gets to jump into something pulpy like this, and I think he's going to do fantastically well. Mm. I I think he does. I think he does. He's a he's still a cool uh, Peter Parker. Yeah. Um, like he's not sort of going for that sort of uh, emo route that uh, Andrew Garfield seemed to be doing. But he like was the, still the, tortured, the coolest. The tor- yeah, I guess he- so. But he was more tortured, I think, Andrew Garfield's one. 
Mm. Well, yeah, he, well, he, yeah, when you, when you are the person who leads to uh, Dennis Leary's death, then yeah, you're going to be a bit tortured. Mm. I mean, yeah. a lot of people would thank him, but you know. <laughs> well, they would be assholes. Well, yes, ah. I know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, oh, but dear. so yeah, and halfway through the film, they bring in you know they give so here's what's really good about uh, Civil War. They let the characters breathe a little. Yeah, they never. It's never thrusting that like they're never pushing them down their throat. Everyone's getting their time to shine. Yeah, uh, they're establishing you know the new characters. Uh, so establishing Black Panther, um, they put him into this into enough scenes yeah and not they're not they're not putting him into the right scenes he's there for a reason he's always at the right place it feels in the script yeah. he's never forced in uh and the same oh i feel that the pacing did stop a little when uh tony stark went to meet uh peter parker yeah, I mean, like Spider-Man, you could say basically you could cut all of his scenes out of the movie and nothing would change. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, like he was – I mean, in terms of uh, sort of establishing and setting up the character for something later, that like that was sort of the primary purpose of it. But the, the thing I liked about it was understanding that uh, this was a pretty sort of basically borderline fan service uh, – moment they actually had a lot of fun with it and integrated it in a way that actually felt organic yeah and it was still true to um civil war yep uh the comic book as well because in the comic book um spider-man does jump from side to side yeah but, um, but he, was, he is initially he brought off in with uh stark doesn't he? on stark and he was uh kind of brought in because of 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 money and 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 a new suit yeah. Uh, the Iron Spider suit, which he doesn't get in this film, but he does get the iconic Spider-Man suit that we'll yeah. see in Homecoming. Absolutely. Which is like, it's very, so it kept to that sort of, um, it kept to that uh, true nature of the comics. Um, it wasn't just jamming him in because we had to put him in so we could solidify this deal Yeah, uh, with Sony. Which I actually think that they could put the start, like the introduction of Peter Parker at the start of the film, like during that MIT sort of point, and yeah. then you can call back. So I'm wondering if it, there's a deleted scene in which um, Peter Parker was at that uh, speech um, and they just had to cut that for time because it seems very out of place that it's like, oh, you know, I know a guy or I know someone that we can bring in. To fill I would the ranks. be curious to see. I mean, I also wonder if part of it was that, I mean, that production or at least pre-production had already been going on the movie for ages and the script was being written mm. when they actually made this deal. So he was incorporated after the fact. Yeah. So, so into I mean, the, the main set, which could uh, be why the CGI for that uh, main airport scene looks as, well, in some cases, half-assed as it did. It's a you little know, weird. And I got to wonder if maybe it's because of the uh, the shooting style that uh, the Russo brothers uh, use with their films is that uh, all the previous movies, you know, these characters, Iron Man, you know, War Machine, all those guys, 
they'd have their very sort of graceful hero shots and everything like that. Whereas the uh, the Russo brothers, because they shoot with like a far more kind of uh, sort of docudrama, cinema verite sort of, um, mm. you know, you, you as though you were there sort of thing, kind of like what Paul Greengrass does, sort of a journalistic um, feel to it. It, there's a lot more sort of what I guess I would call human movement. Yeah. With these characters, you see them like, you know, Tony sort of kneeling and sitting and standing and, you know, running in the suit, which you almost never see. And the same with, um, you know, all these other characters that uh, it's a sort of a, a field of movement that we've never actually seen those uh, you know, characters go through before, if that makes any sense. And the style of fighting is different as well. And they are in the daylight as well, which is yeah. not something you saw too much of. Like even in uh, Sokovia, it was very dark and dismal mm. uh, when you saw them fight. So, yeah, I guess it was, you know, because in the, you know, in the airport, it was just, it's just them. It's, it was very bright. It was very bright. It was very sparse. Yeah, there wasn't was just... really anything to hide um, the stuff behind. Mm. I mean, I had to say there were moments where uh, you know the Spider-Man suit looked very Green Lantern-y. Yes, yeah, that looked. Well, I would say that the Iron Man and so Iron Man and War Machine uh, mm. suits looked very bad when they didn't have their uh, helmets on mm. uh, because they it was uh, the separation from the neck up. Um, yeah, was just like pasted on i was gonna say that was like it was like a copy paste job almost yeah it it looked it and it was you know a bit of vaseline around where the uh the edges meet that's yeah. what it looked like because <laughs> it was just it would just look so bad <laughs> it was so uh, strange you know it's a reason why because they in iron man 2 they had a lot of um talk uh, talking uh between uh don Cheadle and uh Robert Downey Jr. without their mask on, but it was always that it was always the faceplate. Yeah, and they still had the the helmet on, and in this one they didn't. I guess because they wanted to show off the actors more. Yeah, for sure. But um, it, yeah, it just didn't really look good. Mm. But the beauty of it was is that even even in spite of you know some of these like sort of hinky special effects, I, I really didn't care. Almost. No, you still because you I still was felt because a lot of you know it. we were that invested, and I mean, like you know, I hate to bring it up, but I mean, like this is the the fundamental difference between um, Batman v Superman and Civil War mm. is that you actually are invested and care about these characters because we've been having them built up and we've been experiencing them and going on adventures with them for almost uh, ten years now. And so when something happens to, you know, when something happens to Rhodey, you actually oh. are, you actually are concerned. I felt that. I felt that so much. And because they, far more than any other films that Don Cheadle has been in mm. at, as Rhodey, it's, it hit home because he was, he was up, up front and center throughout it all. Once again, uh, much like uh, Black Panther, he was utilized efficiently. Yeah. I think the only one, the only character, well, I think the only couple of characters was uh, Scarlet Witch and Vision. Yeah, who didn't really get a look in. I mean, that you can see that they're starting to set up the the romance between them. Mm. 
But you could once again take them out of it. Like apart from the fact that you know the she had that the she inst- that she instigates the entire plot. Yeah, uh, but she of... becomes a plot device. She's yeah. really a plot device rather than you know a proper character. Mm. Which I feel that that that's what they were in. Uh, what uh, her and Quicksilver were in Age of Ultron. Absolutely, they were. Just so I don't excuses. know. They, I don't know. Like, why did they choose those two characters? Why did they choose Scarlet Witch to continue going through? Because they just they don't seem like they're utilizing it at best. And mm. granted, they're not very uh, easy characters to work with. I think when uh, Joss Whedon was asked about this, he said, "Like, you know, why?" Um, Scarlet Witch and everything like that. He said, because I've got enough uh, characters that just punch things. I wanted, so to, int- just... I wanted to introduce uh, some variety in the powers that were on display, basically. It was uh, sort of his reasoning. That's it, though? Like, that's that's a very loose reason to actually have a character in, in mm. a film. Like, oh, it's just a different amount of special effects that we're putting in. Yeah. You know, this person... Uh, holds their hands up like they're doing, you know, Tai Chi. Like, what? Like, is that is that really a reason why you should have a character in a film? Apparently, like, is, it, is it is it in reference to the fact that there's only one other female uh, superhero in this? Like, I think once also again, maybe you're filling a quota. Yeah, like have a character in there that actually works, like mm. for for the plot. Because, and I'm not so like, I guess Russo brothers. Um, I point the finger at them because, like, they've done it. You know that they can do it. They've yeah. done it with heaps of all the other characters in this film. But, like, Scarlet Witch, not so much. Mm. It is, yeah, strange about that. I'm not sure if it was just because they just didn't have time mm. to uh, give absolutely everyone a look-in or if they thought they had actually done enough. That uh, you know her guilt over the uh, incident in Lagos, and then you know her sort of uh, little through line of uh, being afraid of what people thought of her and being feared by the public and everything like that, and that sort of dialogue that she has with Vision. You know, we're different. You know, they'll always be afraid of you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I wonder if they just thought that that was actually enough of of a, of a storyline in and of itself. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if it was though. Mm, like, I, I get the feeling that that's what they kind of thought. Is Elizabeth Olsen the right actress for that? Well, for this frankly, sort of role, I don't know why they didn't just actually cast someone from that part of the world. Yeah, like why? Why it needed to be an American actress? I mean, like, I mean, like the argument obviously would be that we we want someone well-known, like a name, a named actor to uh, bring, uh, you know, prior baggage and fan base and, you know, all that sort of stuff to uh, the movie. But, I mean, Elizabeth Olsen isn't exactly well-known per se. I mean, like, she doesn't really do, apart from, like, you know, Godzilla, um, she hadn't really done, like, mainstream blockbuster stuff she really she really stuck to like the the indie circuit with you know martha martha uh martha marcy may marlene or whatever it is that movie about with uh john hawks about the uh the cult and then that uh, spike lee's remake of old boy i mean that's the sort of stuff that she came from 
Yeah. So <laughs> on that basis, it just doesn't make sense to me why they wouldn't just cast a, a, an unknown from, well, the place where Scarlet Witch is actually meant to be from. Yeah, it just it, it seemed very strange. And it was the same thing uh, with uh, Andrew Jackson. Uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Aaron Taylor Johnson. Yeah, same thing with him in Quicksilver. It just didn't, f- it didn't feel like it fit right. Yeah, um, yeah. It, so it's a, it is a real shame because there, it is like Scarlet Witch is an interesting character. Yeah, and she's kind of got some ties, to, like she's got the ties to the magical world. Yeah, which you know that can feed into you know the Stephen Strange film that's going to be coming up. Yeah. So the, like she is a character that can be utilized and then uh, weaved into other other films as well. I think they basically are just waiting. Yeah. For the chance to actually utilize her properly, but at the so at the moment, basically, it's just well, we're just gonna we gotta have, we gotta keep you around, and mm. we'll 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 have we'll give you a little look in like a poke your head through the door. Hi, how are you? Yes, she's still here. Yes, she's still alive, but you're not useful yet. Yeah, in uh, and then you've got so you're not useful yet. Whereas you've got. Uh, Emily Van Camp, who's Agent 13, or uh, Sharon Carter. Yeah. She's also kind of put in there as kind of like, yes, you're important. And you're important because you're the, um, yeah, you're there as the love interest, maybe, kind of. You're there to mm. fill it in. But it's also kind of, I always find, I always found it a little bit weird that, you know, Cap is, uh, Taking a taking a romantic shine to the niece of yeah, the woman he, he, the of, of, of the woman he used to go out with. Yeah, that's it's so strange. And like, uh, <laughs> I and guess it, I guess we're not really meant to be thinking about it in that level of detail, but that's all I could think about. Oh, considering that we actually went to her funeral, mm-hmm. like Peggy's funeral, it's like, um, what, what, what? And it, that felt weird as well. Because, yeah. you know, um, Agent Carter, I think, is being cancelled after the it next has. season. Yeah. Yeah. So that felt like, it's like, no, we're literally putting a nail in the coffin in this character. Yeah. And it was nice to see, like, elderly Peggy in uh, in Winter Soldier. That was great. I thought that I was thought fantastic. That was a, it was really great. And I don't, I don't think they needed to have her funeral as part of the, this film. No, I think it was, you know, again, it was a plot device plot to device. Uh, bring, you know, Cap and Agent 13 together to make it clear to him that they were related mm. because otherwise he wouldn't have been interested. Of course. Which, okay, so here, here's another <laughs> thing that's coming up is like he is a hundred-year-old man basically. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need, like he, like I don't think Captain America uh, needs to have a romantic interest. No, because I don't think that's that's who he is. He, he's always about the mission. Yeah, he's about the mission. He's about his duty. It's so strange to see him like that, you know, just a bit of a kiss. Like yeah. in Winter Soldier, there was the thing with him and, and Scarlett Johansson, uh, yeah. Black Widow, which really works well in the point of that's what Black Widow does. She uses her sexuality to keep her uh, teammates in line. Exactly, yeah. Um, to keep them under a, control. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a controlling aspect, absolutely. Yeah, which is a brilliant, like, it's a very it's a very subtle thing. Well, it's mm. not so subtle. Well, the reasoning behind it isn't so subtle um, of why she does it, but she just 
this is this is part of her character, and she utilizes her, sex, her sexuality appropriately. Yeah. So that was fine to bring that in in Winter Soldier, and like bit of a kiss sort of thing, bit of flirting, you know, try to hook you up, but I'm also flirting with you. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like, but with um with Carter, Agent Carter, it's just you didn't need it. Cap doesn't need um you know anyone. And I include that him and Bucky Barnes. Oh, you beat me to it. Ah. <laughs> Everyone wants them. Everyone's shipping them hard at the moment. And I would, I would be like, I'm like that. I'd love that to happen, but it would be an absolute bloodbath. Yeah. Like, it would be. So more people are fine with uh, Captain America in the comic books now coming out that he is a Hydra agent. Oh, um, really? Yeah, so in the first issue of uh, Captain America, Steve Rogers, it said that he's been an undercover um, Hydra agent since before he became Captain America. Oh, get out. Really? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, and very much, you know, people go, um, yes, that means he's a lit, like he's a Nazi. Hmm. And it's like, yeah, that's, you know, that's, it's well founded that that's what Hydra is an analogy of. Um, and a lot of people are disputing the fact of, oh, no, it's not actually yada, yada, yada. It was like, so, well, yeah, okay, no. Yeah. Yeah, sure, but come on. Like, let's call, you know, let's call a spade a spade here. Mm -hmm. Um, So people have less trouble with that than they would have with the epitome of America uh, being uh, gay. Yeah, well. So society, cool with Captain America being a Nazi, not with him being a homosexual. Well, I mean. That is the leap I am making. (laughs) I'll stand I, by it, goddammit. <laughs> I was going to say, I hope you will. Oh, bless. we got to leave that this. that is staying in. in. Please leave it in. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's going to stay in. So, America summed up. Nazis are good. Gays are bad. Make Hydra great again. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'd be interested to see the real world parallels between the shit that goes on in these movies and whatever's going to happen when Trump like brings out his like SS Gestapo of white trash warriors to, you know, take on the darkies of the of, of America. Oy. Take it back. Well, it did have – it was really interesting that um, there was at the – confrontation of uh winter soldier captain america um black panther and war machine those were the four characters that were kind of shown off at, like once they caught the winter Sol- soldier first and foremost mm. so you had like old like two men out of place like from like old school values yeah uh and two um you know black black men it was like who were catching them and they're within the law yeah not not the two old guys, old white guys. Yeah, it was like, a really, really cool, like little. Spin yeah, on and it. they, they, yeah, they chose to keep Sam Wilson out of that that bit. So it was kind of a conscious decision, I believe. That's what it yeah. looks like. I'd certainly, I'd certainly agree with you on that one. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if it's if it's just if it's just a coincidence, it's it's one hell of a coincidence. Mm. And the, yeah, they they utilize their characters so well, which yeah, back yeah it. It is such a shame that um, when they fall down, it becomes apparent. Um, and, you know, Paul Bettany's always kind of been pushed off to the side. Um, he has been in the Iron Man films as Jarvis yeah. and then his Vision. Um, he's just not like the Vision just isn't a very um, interesting character, really. I mean, if they took more time, I think 
to uh, analyze, you know, his attempt to uh, integrate into humanity and, you know, adopt more human mannerisms and everything like that. I mean, they have that one scene where he's, you know, he's wearing civilian clothing and he's trying to cook and everything like that. But I mean, again, that's like more sort of surfacey stuff that serves more like to be a pun, like a mm. joke. Like you can just go, ha ha ha, look at him. He's wearing a sweater than look. like actually sort of, you know, discussing any sort of in-depth conflicts he might be experiencing being basically the equivalent of a god. Well, not only that, but they could also play with play with um, him also serving a father's duty because exactly. his father is Robert Downey Jr., Tony, Tony Stark. Yeah. So you could also play with that, and they barely ever have anything on screen. Uh, Tony Stark kind of just doesn't – like I feel he just doesn't give a shit about Vision. He sees him as a weapon yeah. but as nothing else. He's, he's another toy that he created. He has little love for him as Vision than he did when he was Jarvis. He loved him a lot more as Jarvis. And that's that's crazy. Like mm-hmm. that's that re- – but maybe that's the curse of the Starks as like as so Jarvis is is like a friend a confidant sort of thing but as like when he becomes vision and a son um the Starks are just like really bad fathers they just just have no idea yeah they are the Brian Cox in terms of fathers (laughs) oh god that's a nice callback (laughs) still the best x-men movie ever absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt not seen uh, Age of Apocalypse, but I can uh, sit uh, comfortably in that uh, remark. I haven't seen it either, and don't don't know if I feel a burning desire to actually either. Nah, no, I'm, I'd, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll be right. Mm. But um, let's get into uh, Zemo, the yes. antagonist. Of, Please, well, yeah, I guess the main antagonist of the film. Uh, he is the man who is uh, driving all of this conflict behind the scenes. Uh, it's a Daniel uh, Bruhl. 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 Just Bruhl. Mm, yeah. Yes. And he was in uh, Inglorious Bastards. Absolutely. He was and... the uh, the sniper that they made the uh, the film about. Uh, oh, that's right. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. Nation's Pride. Mm. Yeah, he was. So he was in that. He was um, in uh, Rush. He played Nicky Louder. Yeah. So he's he's been in things. He's got. He's got chops and all of that. Absolutely. And I think, so, you know, let's, t- like, he is the antagonist, and he's he's a really good, like, his um, introduction into this uh, as the torturing of the uh, Hydra agent in order to get the secrets. Yeah. Pretty pretty heavy scene for a, for a Marvel really movie. Heavy, really heavy scene. I mean, like, you know, uh, Kevin Feige always said that, uh, Marvel wouldn't be going, you know, the the Batman route. They they wouldn't be get like you know, bat dark stuff would happen, but the tone would never be dark. But they they kind of went for it with that scene. Yeah, they did. And so he's, um, uh, you know, playing Zemo. He is a uh, Sokovian uh, kill squad leader. Mm. Like he's just he's just brutal. Yeah, and his character um, is affected by uh, the events of Age of Ultron. Basically, yep. and and really uh, because of how good his performance is and, and what he does in this film, it basically means that um, means that it's good that um, Age of Ultron happened. Yeah, far more than bringing in Scarlet Witch or Vision, because like just for his moments, I feel it's so much better. Yeah, it's it's, it's very subtle. 
in um, in how he uh, progresses throughout the plot. Yeah, you know, you he don't looks, really realize what 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 he's up to until near the very very end. Absolutely, and it was you know it's it was a fantastic part. You know, in the middle middle of the film, he's getting he's taking the the phone call from his wife, um, and he's um, he's just completely blank. He's not really. It, it, it looks like he's not listening to her mm. uh, because she's saying, you know, she, you know, her son misses him. Uh, their son misses him, and he just he doesn't say anything when she says "I love you." He, should, he just hangs up. Yeah, and it's like, and that and that per- played perfectly into um, the character that they were establishing of him just him being cold and to the task mm. of this. And then as we progress through the film, we find out that that. Is not a phone call. That is a recording. It's a voicemail, yeah. Voicemail that he is playing again and again, and that is the reason why he has set up everything. He has uh, framed Bucky Barnes. He has uh, uncovered the truth about uh, Tony Stark's parents' death yep. at the hands of the Winter Soldier. Um, he has played these characters... Um, in order to gain revenge for what uh, mistakes they made uh, in Sokovia. Yeah. And it was just, oh, I, re- I loved him as a character because of, because of that. I loved the way that they played that out. I mean, the thing, yeah, and the thing about it was that uh, you actually sympathised with him. Uh, you didn't sympathise with him until that point, and it made me think, of, oh, man, so the 180 of of this of him being this you know ruthless villain that you know bombs peace conferences and you know tortures men and everything like that to go for some higher you know evil purpose and then to just smash you with that revelation at the end that uh, at the end of the day he's basically just a, a grieving husband and father and it's yeah they it play makes it out. you it makes you reassess sort of everything. Yeah, it, like it doesn't mean that anything that he did was right, but it just gave an explanation and it just turned it on its head. It's like, oh my god, because they were establishing that um, he was after the other Winter Soldiers. Yeah, um, you know, it turned out that there were others that had um, the serum that uh, Sebastian Stan's uh, Bucky Barnes had in order to make him into a Winter Soldier. You know, and they were becoming, you know, and they were violent people. You know, they were perfect assassins. Um, so it played that. Which, yeah, um, in a more generic movie, they would have just gone for that as the climax. And the Russo brothers such a, knew that. It was such a lovely uh, bait and switch to basically so to basically hold up all these uh, MacGuffins and then you walk through the door and they're dead. And yeah. that's it. Why would you think I would want any more of them in the world? Yeah. It's, it was so good. I mean, like Marvel, it, it must be said, like – there's a lot of stuff they do well, but villains is not one of them. No. And, they uh, don't do villains. I mean, bar Loki, Loki basically. But, he's... but even he's like not really. I mean, like I'd say, you know, like most of them are just I, – I, I couldn't even remember half of them. But Zemo, I'd say, is the best villain they've ever done. He, he is the best villain they have done, uh, but he is – like. Baron Zemo is such a forgettable character. Yeah. It's like, and you could get all, like, he's like, yeah, so what? Like, it's just Baron Zemo. Like, in the comics, he's not really much of anything. 
Um, he's never been. No, he's he's no Red Skull, yeah, which is basically yeah. the um, you know Captain America villain. So it's none of that. Um, but like what he's done is so much better. Like he's he's done more than Ultron did. He's done more than what Loki did, and like and and Loki literally like he he tried to tear um, the he Avengers was apart. To do the exact same thing, yeah. And he couldn't do it. Nope. He couldn't do it. But you know, oh, Zemo did it, and he did it. It did it so well, and you understood why. You know, you have the exchange between uh, him and T'Challa at the end. Yeah. And then, oh, and then so yeah, you know. Uh, Black Panther then goes off and he's like, no more. No, we have, look, those men are killing themselves, killing each other mm. based on revenge. You know, you have done all of this for revenge. I will no longer pursue my revenge. Yeah. And then instead of like, and then he stops Zemo killing himself. Yeah. And it's just so good. They do characters so well. It's just such a pleasure to see scenes like that where there's some actual like complexity going on in character motivations where you see events that you know uh, are you know terrible that are morally questionable but the but the movie itself doesn't condemn and it doesn't condone it just regards absolutely and that was it's... the beautiful thing about Zemo is that it showed what he did but in a kind of removed dispassionate kind of way that this is just some stuff he was doing and then you know the big reveal it didn't play on the schmaltz really hard or anything like that you know this sort of oh i'm just misunderstood it just again it showed us if we're exactly what it was and let uh everyone else make the choice of how they felt about it he wasn't a pitiful character whereas i feel loki um, often is shown as that, like that's his defect. That he's so um, he's so petty and he's Snivel, like sniveling. Yeah, and I deserve this. You scorned me. You know these yeah. are the reasons I'm doing this. You should understand and you should <laughs> bow before me. Whereas Zemo's like, no, like I'm barely going to tell you why. Like, and I'm not going to like ask you to understand. No, this is what's happening. Yeah, this is what's happening. You have no choice in the matter. Yeah. You know, it, the, you know, the timer was started 35 minutes ago. You know, this is just how it is. Yeah. Your pawns in my play and enjoy such, it was, it really was a refreshing um, choice of uh, a Marvel film to take. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> especially in terms of the climax of the film. Yeah. Cause Winter think- Soldier did those tropes again yeah. of, you know, it's a big battle station. It's something uh, in the sky and eventually it's going to fall out of the sky, which is like the Marvel go-to climax. Yeah. I Most am, of their movies are a big thing in the sky that falls out of the sky. Yeah. Like yeah. a lot. Like a, a lot. lot of the time. Yeah. Wow. So it was actually just very pleasant to uh have well, it they did have uh war machine falling from the sky well that yes was a big beat so mm. that's but that's us nitpicking and we do like to nitpick here we do uh but i mean i'll i'll, I'll give them a pass on that one you know because once again that was a brilliant character moment mm. you know that was so good you know 
Um, Vision uh, gets, you know, his vision clouded by Scarlet Witch, and he uh-huh. sh- shoots off into um, into uh, Falcon. But he wasn't paying attention, so he sh- gets War Machine. War Machine falls, and both um, Iron Man and Falcon uh, go to get him. Yeah. Which is, once again, brilliant because Sam Wilson, once again, is a good man and he's yeah. doing the right thing. You know, I I will do everything I can because we may have been enemies at this point in time, but I still have the respect and admiration for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's, and then, that's the, I mean, that's the thing about, like, the Marvel, you know, about this Civil War thing. It's just like, well, like, they're all mates. Yeah. I mean, and like, they don't want to fight. It's like both sides are essentially just, you know, good people trying to do what they think is right. And they refer and then they reference it with Hawkeye and Black Widow. It's like, yeah. oh, this, you know, are we still friends? It's like, depends how hard you hit me. Hey. Yeah, like so, yeah. Fun. <laughs> and you know, they do, and like they utilize Jeremy Renner. Mm. And I think this is the best. Like, I really like him as the as the gruff. Like, you know, can't retire for anything because I got to yeah. get dragged like back into this. Getting sort too of thing. old for this shit, basically. Absolutely, he's the Danny Glover of this. He's and he's, just, he's, 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 so he's Murtor. He's Murtor. Absolutely, and it, yeah, it worked really. It worked really well. I think it's the best thing about um, that. What the best direction to take that Hawkeye? Yeah. Well, I mean, they they set him right in uh, Ultron. Yeah, you they know. did. Yeah, they did some good things with him. They turned it on its head. They took him out of being the just the romantic, uh, the romantic lead for Black Widow. Yeah, uh, which would have which been so good. easy. Like you know, you're a human and I'm a human, and let's do human stuff together. Just you know, yeah, it would absolutely. have been the, it would have been the obvious you know road to go down. But then to sort of actually make him one of the deepest and most uh, well-sketched-out characters in the entire Marvel mm. cinematic universe with his wife and, you know, kids with his own, like, uh, you know, priorities in life and his own sort of set of moral, And it's you know, outside of of just whatever they're avenging. It's mm. like I've got more at stake here than just, you know, more at stake than the end of the world. I've got the end of my world. Yeah, exactly. That I have, which, yeah, it's really good. Like, they do it, like, the characters in this are great. And, like, they play Spider-Man off really well as well. Mm. Like, Peter Parker thing felt a little bit strained. Um, At first, it did feel like it was just fluff to set it up for Homecoming. But him in the airport fight scene. Yeah. Really great. You know, they just, really played him off as this. Yeah, this is this. Hey, look, this this is Spider-Man. And I think he plays a better Spider-Man than Tobey Maguire did. Yes. I, I mean, like, that- to- like Tobey Maguire, they always sort of like, you know, Tobey Maguire, I think, like, is still the best Peter Parker ever. Absolutely. He's the best Peter Parker. But then like, but like uh, his uh, Maguire also like that he's kind of like, oh, shucks, sort of, you know. Boy Scout sort of charm didn't really translate into kind of the the snarky, you know, yeah. uh, witty banter that like Spider Man was known for. I mean, you well, saw yeah. that like he had he had a little bit of it here and there, but uh, I mean, Tom Holland easily had the best sort of like flow of as Spider Man. This guy is basically beating the the crap out of these guys while fanboying over them at the yeah. same time. 
Yeah, absolutely. And he's he is literally a character who can't shut up because he is like he's terrified of the situation that he's in. He yeah. he feels so fish out of water that he is trying to cover it up by just consistently talking. And they make reference to the fact it's like, please stop talking. You're, yeah. you're not supposed to talk this much in fights. It's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> Doing his spider thing. It's just it's 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 so refreshing to see to see that and to see like um, after all that we've had with Amazing Spider-Man, to yeah. have like a really fun Spider-Man who's not like just trying to bang like Emma Stone, which you yeah. know, I mean, good. Yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta have a crack at it, I guess. You, you gotta go what you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do, gotta Andrew do. Garfield. <laughs> but you know what, man, you do you, and uh, let Tom Holland do Spider-Man because he's better. It's fantastic. Well, <laughs> yeah, shots fired there. Good thing we're not doing a shout out to Andrew Garfield at the end of the podcast. No, no. I'll tell you what. That... I'll tell you what. Tell you what. Who could have do? Who could do Spider Man? Our man. Bet, our man. I reckon he could do it. He could do it better than anyone else. The vigilant he'd, listener. He'd, he'd, he'd bring Scoot something McNary. to it. Scoot McNary. He would be Woo! able to do it. He'd knock Spider Man have... out of the park. Hell yeah! All right, here we go. Scoot McNary, Ben Riley, Scarlet Spider. Let's make it happen. Ooh. Okay. Yep, he's supposed to be a clone, but doesn't matter. Just do it. Just do it. Make Just it happen. It. Make it yeah, happen. It's a, it's a clone, like half clone, half half human, or something like that. Or make like, him, make him Kane, the imperfect clone. Doesn't matter. Do it. It doesn't matter. Just make it happen. Come on, do the Everyone. jackal storyline. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Come yes. On. Uh, Scoosh, call your people, and uh, you know, make it happen, mate. You've got Just, the power. You've got the power in your hand. Just give us the invite to the red carpet. That's all we ask. And access to the free bar, and uh, we promise we won't bother you after that. But you'll have to be on the podcast before then. Naturally. You will. I mean, that's just part of that's just part of the rule. It's just going to happen. I mean, like quite frankly, how could you how could you refuse? I don't know how <laughs> I could. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Scoot, we love you. Love you, love you love dearly. You. Love you to bits, man. Huge right. fan of your work. And this, <laughs> so this, this film sets up basically where we're going next with the uh, Avengers films into Infinity, mm. which kind of brings in like the two teams of the Avengers, really. Yeah, the split, the split teams that eventually will have to uh, put aside their differences to take on the the grander, you know, threat of Thanos and everything like that. I mean, like, I think I can't remember like how the contracts works, but I don't think I think Chris Evans has only got one more movie left, which I guess in, in, is in, in his contract, which means that um, well, Infinity he might be well, too, he might well he might only I be mean, in one he might only be in one part. Is that actually like because it's like part one, part two? Is that like it is one film, but it's being split? Yeah, I don't know, like, what the contractual ins and outs of that would actually be whether yeah. it would count as like like would you be filming the entire thing all at once and then like splitting it in half or would you have two separate productions oh i would probably want them to do it all together mm. you know but that sounds ridiculous from like a hollywood point of view yeah that seems like be, too much money up front i was gonna say that'd be that'd be an enormous um, undertaking. 
I mean, I read somewhere that they they're saying that the 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 budget for the two movies is a billion dollars. Yeah, and that yeah, that would be easily like a billion point five. Yeah, you know, one point five billion. Um, if they did it together, because that would just do a lot. Mm. Yes, but so yeah, but they've got. But then again, thing. I mean, like you know, um, Justice League Part One is is getting shot on its own, and then they're shooting Part Two separately. Yeah, so well, I don't know how that would work. Yeah, well, that's not going to be a good film. So you know, we're trying, <laughs> to, we're trying to talk about good films here. I guess, but it is curious to me, like um, just just uh, to segue for a second like the number of narrative beats that uh civil war and uh batman v superman actually share yeah they do that they're both the superhero accountability kicked off by you know uh instances of uh bad collateral damage notions of uh, lack of accountability amongst these uh you know enhanced beings it's then uh you know the plot is driven by a uh, uh, guy with his own, with his own with his own personal vendetta against these two people who basically, you know, uh, constructs a government. fight be- between the two of them. It's done by a bombing of a you know a, a government governmental building, yeah, building and everything like that. And uh, at the end of it all, everyone tools up and fights over someone's show... dead mum. Yes, and they show, they even show the they even show uh, media. Of that dead mother in yeah. order to spur that fight on. Oh my god. It's, exact, it's, could, the, it's the exact oh. same movie. And so and yet This is how you yeah, this is this is like a masterclass in what not to do and what to do. Like this is a film that has taken its time to happen mm. as this opposed is, is, to yeah. a film that was rushed and had had to pick up the pieces that it didn't ever like drop it's just scrambling for it making them as it was coming together yeah well it had to set up you know five different movies yeah and all act at as once if, you know the billionaire uh florentra the billionaire uh was has been around for like at least 10 years yeah um you know whereas you know robert downey jr has been iron man for 10 years so when he says, when he gets, you know, aged and angsty and, you know, uh, depressed and upset and makes these choices, that's like as an audience member, you empathize with that sort of stuff because you've been on the journey with him. You've seen everything that he's been through. And so you understand what informs his decision in this film. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in, in BBS, when Bruce Wayne does this, that and everything else, it's basically just like, well, you got to just got to take our word for it that this is uh, what he would have done. Yeah, and yeah, they just based make it... on based on no evidence whatsoever. Yeah, just so that the, yeah, the Marvel universe has made it made it work. They even played off, you know, they played off the fact that um, in none of like the Avengers films, uh, Pepper Potts has been in them. Yeah, um, and they do it again with this one, where they essentially. Uh, uh, a conscious uncouple. Yeah. You know, it's that's just what Gwyneth Paltrow does apparently. <laughs> so uh, so they did that and it's like, okay, well, this still worked because like it it played into the films narratively. Yeah. And it made sense because of it all. Yeah. And probably like the – like, and then they did talk into the fact that, um, you know, yeah, in Iron Man 3 he gave it up 
um, Age of Ultron, two, uh, Age of Ultron, uh, he was back in the suit and he was just yeah. like, it was just like no question about it. It's like, yeah, of course I'm in the suit. You know, this is yeah. an Avengers film. Whereas in this one, they actually said, it's like, you know, I can't, I can't not be in this suit. Yeah. I have to be in this suit. You know, this is, this is the reasoning behind it. We're not having to um, make up a reason. We're not having to uh, be just told, no, this is the reason. And you have to understand it. No, we've seen all of these, these things. We've seen these characters work. We understand where they're coming from. Yeah. Um, Even the new characters, you know, we understand, you know, this is why Tom Holland's, uh, you know, Peter Parker's doing his his thing. Yeah. Um, we understand what uh, T'Challa's doing, why he's doing it. You know, it's very easily set up. Like, it's never, I'm going to kill you because I have to kill you. Even even death's not on the cards. Yeah. So, uh, apart from the first scene where, like, Sam Wilson, like, kills a bunch of people. Um, yeah. Like, he explodes people. Yeah. Like, and that, like, that's crazy. Like, I thought that was weird. But apart from that time, like the heroes are never at the point of killing each other. Like no. Iron Man wants to kill Winter Soldier, but Winter Soldier is neither here nor there. Yeah. Uh, Black Panther wants to kill him, but he never really gets the chance to. Yeah. Um, but like the two main people, like Iron Man and Captain America, they will, they, they, death's not on the cards for them, for yeah. each other. They don't want it. They make it look like it is the final scene. But it's never but really then the, the case. But then, yeah, but then at the last, it's he doesn't kill out. him. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't kill him in the fake end. Out. So, because, yeah. of course, why would Captain America do that? You know, Tony Stark probably would. Yeah. Like well, he pushed old, to his... old, old Tony. Yeah. You know. Like, probably would. and But, yeah, Captain America just wouldn't. That's who he is. You know, he would, he'll break people out of, like, supermax prisons and shit like that. Yeah. But he's not going to go around killing people. I mean, even even Zemo doesn't want to kill the Avengers. Yeah, he doesn't want to kill them, just wants to break them apart because he can do so much more damage to them. Yeah. Um, you know, it's that destroying the idea. Exactly, yeah. You know, the, is, idea, you know the idea and the ideology is as power, is powerful or more powerful than the, the people that make it. And it's just, it's just a well-put-together film. And I think... During this discussion, I, like I cut beforehand, I kind of was like, "Winter Soldier is a is is a superior film to this." I, I would agree with you on that one, because I, just it, just pacing wise, it works a lot better. I mean, Civil War it's about two two uh, two and a half hours, yeah, and at the end, it does it does drag its feet a little. It does, but at the same time, like it it does um, it does do things better than what winter soldier does like the ending mm. like the climax the um the antagonists like they do those better you know it doesn't follow the formula of things falling out of the sky yeah so i'm under the i'm i'm feeling like they're on par with each other like the russo brothers are hitting two for two here yeah they have proven themselves that they can do a film a, a marvel film um and do it well yeah not absolutely. once but twice and a crazy amount of credit to them. Yeah. For coming from Arrested Development and Community. Yeah. Arrested Development, Community, and, yeah, and then they're able to pull out this sort of business? I, I mean, in terms of just pure 
something that's just like, you know, I mean, you can come into it as we kind of have done and deconstruct, you know, the characters' motivations and like what they're doing. But I mean, in terms of just like, you know, value for money, buck for buck, you know, enjoyable, you know, summer blockbuster, I'd say this like basically takes the cake in terms of just like one of the just straight up most satisfying. Absolutely. You know, yeah, films I've, I've seen this year. It does exactly what it said it was going to do. And it gives you those – and it gives you more than that. It is it is a summer blockbuster that gives you great character moments. Mm. It gives you, uh, you know, proper reasoning. You know, it doesn't – like it gives you some plot points and all of that, you know, you know, vision not being at the start of it, you know, all of that sort of crap. You know, it gives you that, but it also like – it makes you care about these characters. It, the plot is succinct enough. It has enough twists and turns in it. It's like, apart from a few things, it's pretty well paced. Mm. Like it is a solid, it is a solid film as much as it is a summer blockbuster. Yes. And it's a sort of a curious thing that, you know, people always say that phrase. I mean, it's good for a comic book movie. Now this is good for, you know, this is just a good film. Yeah, in the same way that Winter Soldier was a good film, like it is a good spy film. Like this is, and I don't know what, like is this, this is not a spy film. This is, mm. this is something else. Yeah. It's, it's a little, it's, yeah, it's a strange mix, you know. It's like a, you know, family crisis film as and yeah. as well as being like a big, you know, sort of, spy blockbuster type thing. Yeah, it is it is a it is a summer blockbuster with the pedigree of what the summer blockbuster of Jaws was because that was a that was a summer blockbuster and it was well, a great it was film. The, it was one of the first greats, yeah. One of the first greats and it is it is it is not as good as Jaws. I do not believe that. No. But it is at it is at that sort of um genre of it. Mm. It's a movie that sort of understands that the lulls are just as important as the uh, bombastic moments. Yeah. But the beats in between are what inform these uh, grander, more action-oriented moments. And without those lulls, those moments of uh, taking a, a, a second to actually check in with characters, to actually have them progress as human beings and have moments with each other, the the payoff is so much is so much poorer and less rich because you don't care about them. And that's the beauty of uh, this movie is that we've been with these characters long enough now that we do care about the outcomes and they can talk about things and reference past affairs and events. And we know all of those things happened because we were there for them. And so it just gives this richer tapestry of history to all these characters that like, you know, just fit like a good shoe. They just fit like perfectly into, you know, this movie and, and all the movies because the actors, you know, who play them are so comfortable with them now as well. And it's you look at, you know, Bat- Batman v Superman and everyone in that movie is just awkward because they're being saddled with, like, a huge amount of uh, expositional history. But they, they there's, there's nothing uh, cinematically that's come in the past to... Uh, for the audience to look back on and inform themselves with. So the onus is entirely on the the actors and the characters in that movie to basically just vomit forth, 
you know, a whole shitload of uh, exposition and history and just say, all right, this, 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 and then, and this happened. Yeah. And you'll just have to trust us on it. And it's like, well, I get that, but why should I care? Because I've seen you on screen as Batman for about, you know, 30 minutes. Yeah. And I've seen, I've seen Tony Stark on screen for hours. And yeah, we've grown accustomed to these people. And like, so the end of BBS is uh, a somber end, you know, the death of Superman. Mm. And we are uh, forced to feel hope that there's, we're forced to. Um, Whereas at the end of uh, Civil War, um, you know, they have, they have both lost. Yeah. They, they, there's, there has been no win. It is, it is very somber, a very somber end. And yet we, feel hope we feel excited for the next we feel, chapter we feel, we feel in spite of it like you know the movie doesn't ask us ask us to feel that but we just do because you know with that final monologue from steve basically saying yes we we made mistakes you know we are on opposite sides but look if you need me call me you know where no matter where you are no matter how far don't worry baby just call my name Dad is coming home. I'll be there in a hurry. Yeah. You don't have to worry. Ooh. <laughs> we got there. You got there. I didn't, uh, I wasn't on board for the start, but yeah, okay. I, I apologize for that. <laughs> I think about it wraps it up though. I think it does. <laughs> yeah. On to that on note. a somber moat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, though it is somber, I do hope uh, you are, the listeners are hopeful of our next um, our next episode, uh, we did say that we're going to be doing, uh, you know, the big, oh God, I forget what it's called. Big short. The big short. I was going to say the big shot and I was like, that's not right. I, I was going to say right. maybe. <laughs> the big, the big, we were going to be doing the big short, but another film has, uh, piqued our interests and we're going to be doing that instead. Damien, what is the film that we are choosing to do? The film that uh, we are going to be bringing to you people next week is a movie called The Green Room, a sort of a horror uh, horror thriller, I guess, um, you know, is what you would uh, call it, about uh, a rock band, basically, uh, that uh, witnesses a violent murder at a, a club that they're performing at a neo-Nazi club and then uh, have to uh, basically stay alive while everyone is trying to kill them. And the uh, owner of the uh, club, Darcy, is played by the uh, one and only Patrick Stewart. Yeah, it's going to be a like this is going to be and an interesting one. I've heard I've heard incredibly good things about it that basically it is like an unabashed you know genre thriller but it does actually have some seriously tight performances and is actually smart like people aren't just doing stupid things all the time and just getting into ridiculous situations Mm. so i'm i'm quietly excited to uh to see how it goes uh you know uh this is, of course, uh, written and directed by Jeremy Solnia, who um, the last movie he did, I don't know if you ever saw this, bro, was uh, this film called Blue Ruin in uh, 2013, which uh, 
was an absolutely amazing film. It was a it was a Kickstarter movie. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's basically uh, about a vagrant who uh, finds out that his uh, uh, the man who murdered his uh, parents is going to get released from prison, and so he basically just uh, decides to come home and kill him. And Interesting. It's, it's just, uh, but it's very very different in terms of like how they go about it. Like, I mean, it's very grim. It's incredibly stripped down and, you know, uh, bare bones, you know, plot and vendetta, but it's beautifully shot and, you know, tackles the notion of vengeance and, you know, uh, vendettas and vigilante justice in a really cool way. So I'm kind of excited to see how we, uh, how that gets subsumed into a more sort of a horror style, uh, yeah. film with, uh, this one green room. So, yes, stay tuned, everyone. That's that'll be uh, our discussion next week. Yeah. So go out. Uh, it has it. You know, it is showing in cinemas right now. Mm-hmm. So if you can get to it, get to it. You can follow along. Um, it, yeah, this is going to be an interesting one because it's you know it's out now. This is you know this is R rating sort of thing. This is going to be this is going to be full on. And I'm, I'm, I'm really I'm, excited. I'm excited. For it. I'm quite thrilled actually to see yeah. uh, to see a. Uh, uh, a low-key Patrick Stewart. I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see uh, a Patrick Stewart that's hasn't got the bombast dialed up to eleven. Yeah. So yeah, a a non-scenery chewing Patrick Stewart will be mm. an interesting one to see. Absolutely. Yeah. I look forward to it. Uh, thank you very much, as always, to listening viewers. Thank you, um, guys. If you would like to follow us on the social medias, um, you can find all the links on our website from thesilverscreen.com. Uh, rate us on iTunes. It really does help us rise in the ranks. Um, Brendan Fraser had the Brendan Fraser podcast is in like the top 10 new and noteworthy on iTunes. It has blown uh, my mind. He's, he's, he's gone so far. We've got so far to catch him now. So far. And, you guys can help us. So please uh, continue to uh, listen on. Um, we do appreciate it greatly. Um, please review us, um, chat with us. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Go forth. Enjoy. Multiply. Oh. Please multiply. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, s- slip, slip, of the, slip of the tongue there. Woo. <laughs> Wow. Right, then. We're done. Talk to you later. <laughs> Bye-bye.